0: This topic, A, after a a nice meal uh, on a Sunday afternoon, by design, this is gonna be fairly short. Um, But if uh, you guys, uh, for anyone who is here, recall back in October, I talked a little bit about the transfiguration. And uh, one of our... I am eventually going to get to Daniel and to Isaiah, but for our first passage, we're going to a passage that's shortly before uh, Matthew's account of the transfiguration. So this is, happens shortly before Jesus and uh, Peter, James, and John go up to the mountain um, and I hate to make Peter the whipping boy again. If you recall last time, uh, Peter was talking uh, to or was observing Jesus being accompanied all of a sudden by Moses and Elijah, and he got all excited. Let's build tabernacles, which was you know, not a good idea to the point that God corrected him on that. Well, here we have something very similar. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So, obviously, Peter has a misunderstanding of, of what Jesus' mission was in coming to earth. Peter has accepted Jesus as being the Jewish Messiah, but he has a little bit of an un. He doesn't quite understand what that means fully. Um, In Jesus' own words, and the Luke account uh, puts it in Jesus' own words, uh, and again, this is shortly before Luke's account of the transfiguration as well, Jesus speaking says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain and rose again on the third day. So, Jesus is trying to explain what he is, is here to accomplish, and he's using this term in this, at least in uh, Luke's version, he's using the term Son of Man, which is used all throughout the Gospels to refer to Jesus. Jesus is the Son of Man. What we don't understand, uh, a lot of times maybe from our perspective 2,000 years after the cross is that this small statement here taken from Jesus, the Son of Man must suffer many things is a mixture of two very distinct prophecies from two different prophets from the Old Testament that would have been pretty much scandalous to hear that the Son of Man was going to suffer. The Son of Man, according to Jewish ideas at the time, was, yes, it was very closely associated with the Jewish Messiah that they were anticipating. But it was thought to be a political order, and it would have eschatological implications. And that's the $5 word for uh, folks Uh, for the branch of theology that deals with the end times. So this Messiah would be a political ruler, but he would establish a kingdom that would reign forever. True of our understanding of Messiah as well, but in a little bit of a different context. This was more of a a physical reestablishing of the Jewish kingdom or (coughs) the kingdom of Israel. Um, And that's where we're going to go to Daniel chapter 7. Now, this, the Son of Man must suffer, that's a bit of a disconnect in the mind of your first century Jewish audience whenever you're talking to them. This is a prophecy that uh, Old Testament scholars will frequently refer to as the suffering servant, and it's from Isaiah 53. First century Jewish thought, this was not considered... The suffering servant of Isaiah 53 was not considered to be a messianic prophecy. It was part of the Jewish eschatology, um, but it was considered to be uh, referring mostly to the role of Israel itself. And then that's Isaiah 53, verses 2 through 10. Is what we're going to read for that. But to go into Daniel, this obviously is... Again, for the first century Jew, Jewish people, this is what they were looking for in their Messiah. "'I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like a son of man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and kingdoms, that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away.' and his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed. This is what you want in your, in your Messiah. Um, and, and that's what you get, but again, slightly different understanding. This was viewed as a very uh, political, restoring Israel to its, to its glory. Um, that would have been the view in the first century Jewish world. The suffering servant is one that we know from our view, we have a hard time not viewing this as Jesus because that's what we've all grown up with. For he shall grow up as before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness when we shall see him, and there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one of us to our own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, as he brought, was brought as a lamb into a slaughter, and the sheep before the shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison... And from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, for he hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed, and he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper his hand. So, obviously, you know, if we're looking at the first passage from Daniel, we don't have much problem understanding where they're coming from. They thought that the Messiah was going to be a physical kingdom, a physical restoration of of Israel. For Isaiah 53, I have a hard time not reading Jesus into that passage because we should. That's what the New Testament does. Even in A.J.'s reading, we have an allusion to Isaiah 53. But that was not the understanding at the time of the first century. These were two very distinct prophecies one related to Israel one related to the messiah and so to have a suffering messiah a messiah who is going to be smitten and and beat sure the messiah of Israel's understanding at the time would probably experience some hardship in a, a hero's journey sort of a sense but he's not a messiah that would go through agony and torture and ultimately death. And Jesus says, yes, he is, and yes, I will. This is a a third-century Christian um, named Origen of Alexandria. This is actually a uh, a, a depiction of him that comes from around the 1200s, so it's like a medieval depiction of Origen. But Origen gives us a glimpse of what a first-century Jewish uh, person might have thought about uh, the prophecy in Isaiah 53 through one of his uh, interlocutors. I butchered that word. Um, On one occasion at a dispute held with certain Jews who were reckoned wise men, I quoted these prophecies, the prophecies of Isaiah 53, to which my Jewish opponent replied, that these predictions bore reference to the whole Jewish people, regarded as one individual, as being in a state of dispersion and suffering in order that many proselytes might be gained on account of the dispersion of the Jews among numerous heathen nations. One thing that I thought was interesting in this is uh, this was a common first century understanding of Isaiah 53 at the time where Isaiah, the suffering servant, was Israel. That's that's what they they believed, that Israel was suffering, and Israel's dispersal and the suffering that Israel was uh, experiencing would draw proselytes to the true and living God. And I find it a little bit ironic that... They're so close but so far away because the suffering servant, the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, does draw people of all tribes and all nations to become not proselytes but disciples of the true and living God. So we went through this comparison, but on the suffering servant side, we see that it was part of the Jewish eschatology because they believed that Israel itself would be able to draw people into the true and living God. They would never be given full citizenship in Israel, like Jesus was able to combine the Jewish and the Gentiles um, through his death. But it would draw people to the true and living God. So through Jesus, we have two very disjointed prophecies that the Jewish people of the day would not have been able to connect them on their own. And that's a big part of the confusion that we have throughout the, old, throughout the New Testament. That's a big part of the confusion, I'm sure, of what Peter was experiencing when he says, no, you're not supposed to suffer, Jesus. You're the Messiah. The suffering servant was not even connected to the Messiah at all. Um, and a side note, Psalm 22, where we have the psalm that what we would could call the crucifixion psalm, we would, looking back, tend to think of that as being closely related to Isaiah 53. And again, it is, because Jesus has reinterpreted all of these passages for us, or all of these passages are reinterpreted through Jesus. But a first-century Jewish context... Um, as near as I can tell from what I've looked into Psalm 23, 22, Psalm 22, is they would just say that that is David speaking of himself and speaking of his own travails and sufferings. And uh, they would not have even regarded that as a prophecy at all. At least with these two passages in uh, Daniel and Isaiah, they were regarded as prophecy. So, Jesus was both the suffering servant that had uh, suffering afflicted on Him and draws people to the true and living God. He's also the Son of Man who's ascended to the right hand of the Father and whose rule will never end. It's a passage from... Uh, Philippians 2, I think, really encapsulates this and takes both of those and and puts them down to a level to where it's absolutely clear. And this is Philippians 2, beginning in verse 5, and we're going to read through verses 11. And this is the ESV. Um, Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Jesus Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself and taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow on heaven and on earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. No one could have ever anticipated before Jesus that this suffering servant of Isaiah was the Messiah, that this suffering servant was going to ultimately, through that suffering, draw all people or extend an invitation for all people to come to the true and loving God. So, Jesus subverts our expectations in this passage. And Jesus subverts our expectations in a myriad of ways uh, in terms of everything that he did. He was not anything that anybody could have anticipated. Jesus doesn't operate by the world's logic. Who would have thought that suffering and the, the humility that Jesus displayed would ultimately be what brings about our redemption? That doesn't work according to world metrics, but that's what he calls us into. And then, much like my previous sermon whenever I was talking about the, uh, my previous sermon, Jesus frames and gives context to how we read and interpret the Bible we would not be able to go back and look at Isaiah 53. Um, We have such trouble even wrapping, I have trouble even wrapping my mind around the way that it would have been viewed in the first century context just for the fact that it fits so perfectly with what Jesus had gone through. And Jesus gives us that interpretation. We, we're not at liberty to go traipsing around to the Old Testament without Jesus as our guide. Uh, so, um, again, I, say, I said, you know, I was going to take just a few minutes because I know it's after lunch and everything, but um, we have an opportunity through the suffering servant that is Jesus Christ to humble ourselves to Him and to follow in His footsteps. You know, he humbled Himself to a cross and went through all of this pain and torment on our behalf so that He can be exalted and that He can be our Messiah and that we can come back into right relationship with God. He calls us into the waters of baptism and to a symbolic uh, sort of suffering and death of our own and into a life of, of giving ourselves and pouring ourselves out for others. You know, um, that's something that we all need to do. And if you haven't come to that point yet, I would encourage you to, to think about that and to consider what was done on your behalf and what a life you can lead through submitting and following Jesus' steps.